Coming up, Mikhail Bridges lights Atlanta on fire, leading the Nets to a victory over the Hawks on the road. Late game sequences, buzzer beating moments. It's all coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the winning Brooklyn Nets every single day. Over there is Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Marmot. We thank you, of course, as always, for making us your first listen of the day. We're free on all those great platforms. Let you know today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks. If your team wins, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. And baby, where we're getting started is wah, 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 all <laughs> you want, Atlanta. We don't care about those closing moments. There was no foul. Brooklyn gets the dub, Doug. Huge win for the Brooklyn here. Coming here after like a weird week in the NBA. Lots of, you know, lots of in-season stuff, big layoffs. Everyone kind of comes back for one night seemingly and then kind of can take the nights off going forward here. And that's traveling to Atlanta where they, you know, lost a really close game in overtime last time. You want to see them get redemption and they just absolutely go out there and do it. Um, this game was highlighted by, you know, we can talk about some guys who had off nights, but ultimately it was Mikhail Bridges who just sends a dagger with five seconds to go in the game, culminating another great game for him in, in the ATL. He finishes with 32 points. And like I said, that clutch shot at the end. We'll go through all the different stuff, but just on a high level, that's 11 and nine now got a win over a team that, you know, they're pretty evenly matched with lost yeah. last time and just got it out of win in this one. It's really cool to see. These are kind of two kind of teams you'd actually like to see go in a seven game series, right? Because of how evenly matched yeah. they are and how fun it probably would be. But I think we probably end up titling this thing on the back end. All hail McHale. Another excellent game from McHale Bridges. You mentioned it there with the 32 points just inside the box score. It's not just about scoring. It's also about doing it efficiently. 12 of 19, just four shot attempts from beyond the arc. And that game winning bucket there ultimately is, of course, as you knew it would be, a mid-range vehicle for McHale Bridges. I, I, I think that... You know, in totality, five rebounds, five assists, it's all good. I think we're starting to see Mikhail Bridges find a little bit of that stride that we saw last season over those 27 games after the trade. We, we were hesitant to lean too hard into it early in the year here, but maybe it just is. Playing basketball in the summer, always giving you every single game, right? No nights off for Mikhail. He's been hitting his stride and playing in Atlanta. First victory for him in his career in Atlanta seems like it's been a sweet spot for him of late. Yeah, they really needed him. Look, he was coming after, off of the 42-point game against Orlando where he got to the stripe 18 times. This one, he took sort of the same amount of shots, 20 last game, 19. This one only got to the line five times, 75% true shooting, was efficient, again, at all the right times and on a night yeah. where some other guys were really struggling to shoot. And this is like, that's exactly what you need for guys that you want to be sort of rising to be stars right they're the guys that can pick up a team they're the guys that can get their own bucket they're the guys that can get into isolation they can go score at all three levels like he checks a lot of those boxes these last couple games are more reminiscent of what we saw from him last year in the final section of you know games after he came over from phoenix where he is putting the team on his back they are turning to him in big moments i think we thought maybe we would see some more like 
your turn, my turn stuff with Cam Thomas being around more, but that's not totally happened here. And not to say that it won't and not to say that Cam isn't, you know, these guys aren't going to just like sort of sort of share the scoring load on a given night, but bridges for, you know, the worry maybe it was early on in the season when it looked like the, it was, he was slow to get started. That is, you know, being completely erased now. And the best players in the league go out and have games like this, right on the road, somewhat hostile environment had already lost there in a close one a few weeks ago. And now you take this thing right down to the wire. And man, I'll tell you when it comes to just defining big players, that final sequence where they get the ball and they don't call a timeout. Yeah. And he just runs and he just runs the action and everyone feels confident with that being the solution. Even, I, I don't know, even me watching it. I'm like, here we, this is good. Like yeah. the guy's in control. He's a cerebral player. He knows the spots that he wants to get to. So when he comes down, gets the switch onto Capella, which he's dying for, and cooks him, and you're like, yeah, that's pr- pretty much – I mean, you couldn't draw it up in a timeout any better. And that's just like what you see from guys who are stars. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. You need these kind of moments from him. And typically, we've thought about, you know, we'll get into some of the other plays here, which will include the uh, the inbounds play that they had there down in Atlanta's half um, coming in from Spencer Dinwiddie, which also went to Mikhail Bridges, right? So these last couple of key sequences. But just a quick nod in the overall game, too, because defensively, even though you have the uh, Trey Young miss where, where Mikhail has to battle because he's a little bit bigger and a little bit longer to stick with him, I think that you've also seen Mikhail do it at both ends of the floor. And you mentioned Cerebral. I think that's the best way to maybe encapsulate him. You sometimes want your superstars to be a little more demonstrative, a little more emotional, and not that Mikhail isn't, but you also want your stars to be pretty even-tempered, right? You want them to be moment-to-moment, it's all good. He knocks down, getting that switch to Capella and knocking down the deuce that gives them the lead, that's following the the Trey Young triple, right? That makes it feel all too familiar for Nets fans. Like, of course, because the Nets can't get these key stops in this season. And, they, and you know that Trey Young is going to find that space on the floor there, right? So there's there's like not enough time there because there is no timeout to get deflated, right? Right back to it, get into that sequence and set yourself up in a big way. I thought it was an excellent game overall for him. I know we can talk about other players and other things here, but do you, I mean, even looking over these last hand, go ahead, yeah. Uh, you'll come off there. Mute. I, yeah, you make a really good point. I left that part out um, in the first time, which was where it was like you think that Trey has daggered you on the play before, and we've seen yeah. this. We've seen this in multiple games, Nets games this season, like the Luca shot, right? Like there's the Donovan Mitchell. Like they've 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 been. I mean, last game with Trey, they've been in this situation before, and it feels like they've come up a few times on the losing end, even last game against Atlanta where Cam Johnson hits that little tip in and they send it to overtime and they still lose because they can't hit the basically can't hit multiple good looks at the, at the buzzer in those games to have a sort of like redemption arc here with, with this like sort of bat one-on-one battle that, you know, between Trey and between Mikhail to have it go Trey triple Mikhail ISO dagger, and then Trey obviously misses and they think he was fouled or whatever. I mean, that is like, that's a, that's a cool way to write the story. If, if you're writing it out, if you're sort of just scripting it out for Bridges, that one plays really well in the movie narrative. And sandwiches in the lay-in that he had on the prior possession before yes. the triple from Trey as well, right? So he's the sandwich around Trey Young's triple, which is epic, but not good enough. Coming up here in a second, not only will we talk about how the game started, big opening performance from Cameron Johnson here. We will get to eventually the struggles of Cam Thomas, maybe, but this is about celebrating the victory, baby. And that's going to include a little bit of talk around one Dennis Smith Jr., some Dayron Sharp, and oh, yeah, 
I'm going to get into some Spencer Dinwiddie as well. We'll get into that in just one second. All right, before we get to that, tell you about our friends over at FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the NFL stays hot on FanDuel right now. New NBA, too, even though it's indoors. We're going to stay hot in both arenas here on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. So what did that mean for you going into this game? If you were a new customer over on FanDuel and you threw in the money line bet on the Nets, you just you got the W. You watched Mikhail's shot go in. You knew you'd bet your $5 on the money line, and you knew you were grabbing $150 in bonus bets because the Nets won. Your team wins. You win. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, no better time to get in on the action. They got the money line. They got spreads. They got Nets covered that too. By the way, they were they were underdogs here. They got player props over under so much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get in on the action this season. FanDuel official partners of the NFL and NBA. All right, so as we continue our post-game podcast live on YouTube, where we always appreciate the Locked On faithful coming in to join us here, 114-113 road victory for the Brooklyn Nets. And you mentioned it here. We won't get too far afield, but just when you know that you have Washington coming up on Friday when the in-season tournament, I don't think any of us quite realized how kind of spread out it was going to make this week of games if you weren't advancing to Vegas. Really important for the Nets to continue to stack these wins where they can. Now 11-9 and nine on the season. Before we talk Cameron Johnson here, I do just want to, that last sequence with, with Trey Young, just because it is the big moment, you see how irate he is. Quinn Schneider gets up off the bench. Everyone's trying to get at these refs. When you see the replay, I can understand because he's kind of wobbling his way in inside the arc and before he gets that shot off, nobody touches him. Dennis Smith yeah. Jr. is a great job. He passes him off to Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges is there. There's no trip. There's no touch. There's nothing. It was just, hey, it was an awkward motion trying to get through the traffic. And this was a game that had, by the way, a ton of moments that I think both fan bases would look at and go, huh, you know, could have taken a foul there, you know, could have looked at that play a second time. I mean, look, Trey's a great player. He's also a total foul merchant. Like, he just, yeah. that's all he wanted. Sometimes it seems like that's all he's really interested in having get done. I don't blame him, by the way. The guy's like a really slight frame guy who plays in a game of giants yeah. and has figured out a way to like sort of like make himself really lethal. So it's hard to blame. It's like aesthetically and stylistically, I think it's brutal to watch, but I get why he does it. I would do the same thing if I was out there. I was like, oh, this is a, something I can do. <laughs> this is thrown up there on the screen. This is something I can do. But I don't mind that, that, again, writing out the script, I don't mind, especially after last game, because you remember, like, he, he baited one of these fouls last game and got yes. to the line, and that's how they kind of, that's one of the reasons the Nets ended up losing. To have it not work this time is again, part of that redemption arc. It's like, okay, this the, the story ends up pretty cool here because it, it kind of was all the same beats as last time. I mean, literally down to like some of the plays almost. Yeah. And this time they just didn't get the, you know, the Nets got the basket. The Nets got the like the, the close to buzzer beater basket and the Hawks didn't get the foul. I mean, this is very, very similar to how it worked out last game. It was going to be awful to come in here on the podcast and talk another L if this is how, if it had gone the same way, but this is what's cool about sports. It didn't. And I think, too, you mentioned it there. It's like, I, I know that it's hard. You mentioned early in the season, whether it's Luka and the Chuck, whether it's Donovan Mitchell, right? It's really brutal to see those shots go up and go in because the players of that caliber, you know, they're going to go in more often than not. But also, I'll live with the shot. Uh, the fouls is what, you know, you yeah, really yeah. hate to see the fouls in those moments because it also speaks to a lack of discipline defensively. You want to try to stay in front of them. Dennis Smith Jr. does a really good job. We're going to get to him here in a minute. Uh, defending against Trey Young throughout the course of this game in, in several key sequences. But you can live with the result if you know that you feel like you put him in a hard spot to make that bucket go down. 
when we rewind this thing back then and talk about just where this game started, even though Mikhail ends up with 32, and even though Cameron Johnson only ends up with 17, much of the early portion of this game was Cameron Johnson coming out, finding his spot, and I think actually showing off a lot of what we've liked about him and what we think he has in his game, right? He's a he has a little bit more of his overall game than I think people give him credit for. He knocked down some triples, but also did an effective job in transition, drove at the basket, used his size, like used his athleticism. He's He's a tough matchup for this Atlanta team, and I thought early when you needed somebody, especially as Thomas was struggling, Cameron Johnson answered that bell. I think we're seeing him as a good, like, it's like not too dissimilar to what he was in Phoenix, which is like he's a good third or fourth option. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that's just kind of still what he is. I think that that's probably what it's going to be, just like with the way the team is made up. Now, the good news is when he's your third or fourth, op fourth option, you can have a really good offense. Um, that is, that's a, that's a recipe for having an offense because he's a guy that can take, I mean, it's mostly going to be threes, but we've seen him put it on the deck and he's a guy that he can like, sort of like hold the line, especially if the other guys aren't making their shots. And I think that's what we've seen from him. It hasn't been flashy. It hasn't like wowed you. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure he's pushing up. It was close. I got to check to make sure what he made here. Yeah. Now he's like 39% from three for the year, right? So like we're seeing that number even tick back up over what it was when he came over from Brooklyn. Yeah, because he came in 38% and he went three for six tonight. So, you know, we're seeing that number tick back up, not all the way to his like 42, 45% in Phoenix when he was playing, you know, with Chris Paul, where you're going to get insane looks. But if you can get the 40% from three, which is right around the career average, if that's your third option, you're going to, you, you have a high floor. Like you have yeah. just such a high floor as an offense, because when the other guys are cooking, then it's over for the other team. <laughs> right. Um, but he can kind of just help you maintain during periods where, and we're going to talk about him here probably soon. I, we'll probably, let's talk to Dennis Smith Jr. First, but yeah. where these other guys just aren't making shots. No, 100%, right? Fill in the gap, right? Fill in the gap when someone else, when it's a Thomas struggle night, then you need Cameron Johnson because of his skill set and because of the paycheck, frankly, to step up and say, okay, I can take care of things for a quarter for us here before Mikhail is ready to do that next level play that we've seen from him. We'll flip-flop in between starting lineup and bench, but as you mentioned, Dennis Smith Jr. now with back-to-back -back games here for the yeah. Brooklyn Nets coming off the bench, 22 minutes tonight, four of seven from the field, gets to the line five times, so the offensive bag was there. Three rebounds, four assists, two steals. It's the 13 points. Yes, that looks great. And again, those mattered. But this is the only player in this model, especially in a game against a guy like Trey Young, where consistently possession after possession, and you saw it, Trey Young was annoyed by Dennis Smith yeah. Jr. And Dennis Smith Jr. was having a great time annoying Trey Young all game long. You need a player like this, and this is what we'd like to see now that he's healthy and back in the fold. I mean, talk about like the thing you thought you were getting when they signed him in the offseason, right? Yep. We thought yep. this guy was going to be out there, absolute clamps, and if you got anything on offense, you were just playing with found money, right? Yep. Because we knew the guys just both on-ball defense and actually rim pressure because he was just one of the best rim pressuring guards uh, that there is also. If we knew, like this is what we kind of dreamed on and he was going to go hand-in-hand. -hand. The fact that he's also been able to basically seemingly over the last couple of games do everything else. <laughs> I mean, this he's been one of their best players. In his yeah. last 43 minutes, so that's spanning over these last two games. So, you know, it's a, a huge minute game, right? He not only really plays 43 minutes, but we'll just, that's what he did over the last two games. 23 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists, a block, four steals. I mean, that, these numbers are, are crazy sick. And across the stat line, and when he came into this game, he really helped. He and the rest of the bench helped shift 
you know, what I was saying about Cam, Cam Johnson keeping them in the game with the shooting early, the bench did the same exact thing. And they've kind of done this all season. Like, basically everyone that's come off the bench has saved the team and kept them in games yeah, so that we can have these final sequences. And tonight was no different. Dennis Jr. has been amazing. It's been everything you can dream of and more. He was awesome tonight. This was the perfect matchup for him to have to pester these guards. He did exactly what he was gonna what he should do and that they signed him to do. And it's just kind of been the story for the season. This like these guys come in and he's just one of them. They've just been awesome off the bench. It's worth noting that the starting unit, only one player, Mikhail Bridges, was plus one on the night. The entire bench for the Brooklyn Nets. It's been like that a lot of the season. If you see the plus-minus numbers, which I know get funky, but they sometimes can at least tell you a story about kind of what's happening. These bench guys are some of the highest plus-minus numbers on the team. It's because they're crushing other teams' second units. Like, they are – that's basically what they're doing. The Nets have a high – they have a lot of talent coming off the bench, and most nights the Nets bench – is better than the other teams. You know, the Nets' seventh, eighth, and ninth man is better than the other teams' seventh, eighth, and ninth man. Like, that's been a consistent theme over the course of the season. Yeah, the reality is for the Brooklyn Nets, the starting unit for them is going to have to keep it close and play games tight and then hand it off to the bench and say, you're better than them because some of these guys could maybe be in starting rotations as the fifth best player on a potential roster, or you could look at them as being a bigger contributor elsewhere. But the Nets are... Very deep, if not entirely balanced, when we look across the entirety of their roster. Coming up here in a second, then, there's two things that I want to do. We got to talk Dayron Sharp, because gosh darn it, this guy, I think, new nickname, I'm trying this one out, Mr. Activity. I know it's not flashy, but I also think that it's very apt for what he is for this team. And then also Dorian Finney-Smith, man, we have a whole nother conversation to have about this guy right now. Mavs fans trolled them a bit over on social media today. They really enjoy watching and missing one dodo as he plays for Brooklyn. We'll dive in on the rest of the bench performance coming up here in just one second. All right, before we get to that, I'll tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy just made so easy. They took all the best parts of daily fantasy and took out the hardest parts. So you just made a really, really fun product. All you're doing on um, Prize Picks is you are going more or less on the Prize Picks projections. And you put piling a couple of them together, two to five together. You can win up to 25 times your money. You put them together. And then you just, that's it. I mean, that's basically the whole thing. You're not wrestling with salaries. You're not going against sharks in the water. You're not doing some of the other things, these other operators. That just, it makes it really, really difficult. You go to prize picks, you pick a player, you're going you know, more or less on points, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals. That's just for the NBA. Maybe you're getting into the NFL, passing yards, rushing yards, uh, receipt, or total receptions, touchdowns. You can even put them together. Like You don't have to just keep in one sport. You can go cross sports to put your all your prize picks plays together. They have a reboot policy. So your injuries are going to stay in play. Even if one of your players gets injured, that's just not something you're finding on some of these other platforms. All you have to do for prize picks is go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Use the code at locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Use that code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Daily uh, prize picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, so as we continue the 114-113 celebration as the Brooklyn Nets win on the road over Atlanta, improving to 11-9 and on the season. One thing I took a look at before we talk about a couple of these other bench players and also a starter in Spencer Dinwiddie, the ire of Brooklyn Nets fans, seemingly. I did have at halftime, took a look at these numbers, and it felt like this was a positive in terms of the Nets' chances to win this game. Now, it came down to the wire, ultimately. 
the Nets shot just 31% from the field, uh, from two point, excuse me, in the first half to 60% for Atlanta. From beyond the arc, the Nets were on fire, 47% to just 20%. But knowing that Atlanta is not a great three-point shooting team and knowing that it takes a lot more work if you want you know, to shoot that poorly from the field as the Nets did in the first half, made it really easy when you go back and look at this box score and see, yeah, the Nets came down to earth, 41% from deep, but Atlanta, 34, never going to climb over that hump the way that the Nets are capable with the talent that they have there. And then ended up winning from the field overall, 45% to 44%. So really, this is about, to me, equal number of shots, 94 in the game, law of averages. Like, you know, this is the classic Doug Norrie. Three points are worth more than two. That's how you keep yourself in the game. And then you trust that you're going to get across the line here in some of the margins. And Mikhail Bridges and his mid-range game is how you win those battles. Yeah, and like, and look, they were struggling to... The reason that this was like sort of a struggle at times was because we talked about a lot of the positives here. I mean, there were negatives in this game for sure, right? Like they had Cam Thomas who really, really struggled here. Spencer Dinwiddie from the field really, really struggled here. And you're going to have these nights. I don't think you like, so I don't think you like crazy worry about it. I think there's probably like, you know, reasons for, I mean, for sure there was reasons for the cam Tom performance. And maybe we want to like get into the, like the next episode and talk about that. It's up to you. Dinwiddie, you know, he's a frustrating guy at times. I think over the course of the season, it's been really good. And so I don't understand all the time of the hate. I don't know which one of those guys you think you, you, you'd rather kind of focus on here. Let, you know what? Let's go with Spencer Dinwiddie for the simple fact that he's still in this game late. Some people are saying, well, it needs yeah, to be okay, Dennis cool. Smith Jr. Now, Dennis Smith Jr. gets into this game late for the defensive sequences. But I think a lot of it was, and this is where I think fans can sometimes allow their emotions to get the best of them, is to say, well, it should be Cam Thomas. Well, Cam Thomas is struggling tonight, too. Now, now we've talked about Jock Vaughn and his willingness to lean maybe too long and too hard into some of the veterans. But guess what? I, I, I know that Trey gets the strip on 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 uh Dinwiddie there in the lane in one of the late sequences. He's also the guy that has the perfect inbound pass for McHale under the basket. He executes that. He's also the guy that hits the clutch triple from beyond the arc that makes this thing a tight game late. At some point, you have to just tr- like trust the results. I know Spencer Dinwiddie can run bad from the field. Yeah, that's in his game. But he's also capable, and maybe it's one of the better players on the Nets, of hitting these awkwardly clutch buckets in spite of some run bad over the course of 30-plus minutes. I just, you, I know we've talked about him chapter and verse throughout the course of this season. I think he represents something for the Brooklyn Nets fan base rather than actually whether or not he's productive and good for this team. Because all the numbers, by and large, tell you he's been one of the better Nets all year. Yeah, I uh, look, I, I get it with him on a fan level where the fans get really frustrated with him. There's two there's two things that can happen for a guy like this. One, because he's the point guard and he has the ball in his hands a lot, you are just going to notice him more. I mean, let's yeah. just start there. Like just on a, you, as a fan when you're watching the game, you will just notice the guy that has the ball more. So therefore you'll be more keyed into the things that go well and you'll also be keyed into the things that don't go well. Dinwiddie also does no favor sometimes stylistically. And I don't, I think people don't let me talk about this before people don't like the style, right? It's, it's slowed down. It's taking guys off the dribble. He complains all the time about getting fouled. Like it's just, there are pieces that at times can be tough to root for. Mm -hmm. I totally get it. It also, I think blinds people to like that. He is just good. <laughs> I, like, I just don't, I it really, I, I know it does. I, I know it blinds people because it takes, 
because even me, like even me, sometimes I listen. I'm like, ah, okay, I could do without some of this. But then you go look at some of the numbers. I mean, offensive rating that it's the, he has the best offensive rating on the team. Okay, defensive rating is fine. Also, he has the highest net rating on the team, of, except for now Dayron of guys who play real minutes. I mean, like they just win the minutes he's on the court. At the end of the game, I know everyone's just watched like a great game from Dennis Smith Jr. and they're wondering why is he not on the court over Spencer Dinwiddie. At the end of the game, I will always vote for stabilizing effects on the offensive end because that really pays when you can grind it out at the end. And I don't think the Nets have a lot of those guys. And Dinwiddie just happens to be one of them. I know sometimes the results don't look. I mean, he had a crazy great sequences right before that, right? He had he got to the basket. He had the awesome track down block. He hit a big three. I mean, it wasn't like it was all bad here. He 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 did have stuff here in the fourth quarter. I just think that people get hung up on the things they don't like, and it really blinds people to the things that he does well. And I just don't know if that's ever going to change for some people. And definitely us saying it is not going to, but <laughs> does that make sense? Like, our, what, our well, fans ready to turn their tide. Do, what do you think about that assessment of like, does that make, does that track with you? I, I don't know. We didn't talk about this off, off air, but like, does that sort of assessment of people's feelings on him sort of track? Yeah, no, I, I, you, you said it about, or I said, and you're, and you just kind of clarified it. Like he represents something and he represents the frustration, right? Yeah. If, if things aren't going well for the team, then Spencer Dinwiddie, if he's having a bad game, He's the guy you're going to say, well, because look at this moment or this play, right? Or the, the, the hero ball mentality or the complaining. We talk about Trey young at the top, right? Same thing. And if, and by the way, when the game is going well, he's also the guy that'll get mentioned third or fourth or fifth, right? Because well, Mikhail Bridges has a great shooting night or cam Thomas maybe goes off one game, whoever it may be. You're always going to point to someone else first for the accolades, but he's going to be right there at the top. And, and I think him having the ball in his hands does matter. And I think it does matter that he's over 30 years old and that he makes 20 million. This is the last thing on Spencer Dimmy. This is what the problem is. He makes $20 million and fans cannot separate that piece of it. It feels like it's too much. That makes him take away Ben Simmons. What the third highest paid player on this roster. That also, I think has a connotation associated with it. He comes back in the Kyrie trade and everyone maybe feels like, and you and I've talked about other players that should or shouldn't still be on this roster. So now all of a sudden it's like, should you even be here? And if you have a bad game, then you definitely shouldn't be here. And that's just the mentality that's hard to shake. I can appreciate it because there's other guys that are easier to love, but it's just something I think fans need to kind of bury down a little bit here because he's been critical for this team winning basketball. Before we get out the door here, man, if I if I can. Yeah, I wanted to make sure we close on a positive because I know we oh. like we were positive, positive, and then we kind of dragged it back onto Dinwiddie here, but I want to make sure we close because this is, a, 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 you know, especially for everyone here on YouTube that like this was still a huge win. I, you have to kind of talk about all the good stuff and the bad, but anyway, let's make sure we close it out on a, on a high note here. Same page, buddy, because we will of buddy. course extend this into the bonus conversation as we wrap up our live episode on the post game on YouTube. But remember Dorian Finney Smith, Smith plays 30 minutes off the bench, gives you 15 points. Royce O'Neal, 21 minutes, gave you six points. Just running down minutes specifically here. Big game from day in just 19, 22 for Dennis Smith jr. Go back and look at the starters minutes, 27 for Thomas. He had struggled a little bit. Even throw in Spencer Dinwiddie, 28 minutes, 28 minutes for Claxton, 30 minutes for Cameron Johnson, Jock Vaughn. You know, everyone says, oh, why aren't you going with a hot hand? Why aren't you leaning into it? Well, he did actually a little bit more in this game. Could have yeah. been 34, could have been 35 minutes for all the starters, could have ridden with the veterans. And it's a mix here from the bench and the starting unit, but he blended it. 
he did give 22 minutes for Dennis Smith Jr. a lot, right? You know, allowing still finding a way to give big minutes to Dorian Finney-Smith, who has been such a catalyst for this team in the absence of other starters. Jock Vaughn did adjust to this, did have some great sequences out of timeouts as well. So tipping the cap to him because when you get wins, you get credit. Yeah, look, 92, be- or no, sorry, not, not 90, 50, 70, uh, 80. yeah, the 92 bench minutes is in a close game is a ton of bench minutes. Right. <laughs> like, that's a lot. That's a lot that you relied on groups that you felt were working. And, like, kudos to him. Thought Vaughn did a really good job in this one. Drew up an awesome ATO where Din- with Dinwiddie with a back cut uh, to Bridges to kind of, like, to keep them in the game late when it was kind of getting down to it. Can't I mean, remember there was- the last time I saw a play like that for the entry. You're like, well, that was easy. You know, like designed play so easy. They ran another one with a pin down for an open corner three earlier in the game. And I was like, oh, they're getting stuff done on the bench here. Like they're, yeah. they've come out of these timeouts a few times and had good ex- 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 executable. No, no. Executable. There we go. I got there. It's getting mm-hmm. late, buddy. Uh, stuff, <laughs> stuff to run. That's like a materially positive. And yeah. I think you have to cry. It's a good call by you bringing up sort of like the leaning into these bench minutes because, again, this wasn't just like a blowout where they let the bench run, right? Because they get back in. They played the bench a ton because they found combinations that worked and it, they, and he pressed a lot of right buttons, even on a, game, on a night where they weren't finding it from everyone. Okay. Uh, cut, we're going to come back into YouTube live here in a moment. We're going to talk a lot about Cam Thomas, too. So we, we've kind of saved that one for the regular episode here. If you're over on the podcast feed, make sure you are subscribed over on YouTube so you can catch us live after the games. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast as well. Join subtext.com slash locked on nets to get in that action as well. Winning isn't everything, but it beats anything that comes in second. Paul Bryant. Oh, one of the all-time great poets. We'll be back tomorrow on the podcast and in a moment on YouTube Live talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Basketball, basketball. When the post-game podcast ends, the post-game podcast podcast begins live on YouTube with a wide-ranging number of topics, including tonight, the struggles of one Cam Thomas. How is it easy to stay the course with a young player that this organization and fan base truly believes in? We dive in, coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.